Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Hello to you all and thank you for choosing to be with us today. Through this summer, we've been in a teaching series looking at some classic Bible stories. By classic, we mean stories that if you've grown up attending a church family, then you've likely heard them before. But we're hoping to dive a little deeper into some of the intricacies of them. So today, I'd like to look at the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph is a long one but we're gonna hit some of the highlights that cover 14 chapters. Before I read a section of the text and summarize the story, I wanna share with you the overall theme of the story and then a couple of my own stories and ask you a few questions. One of the big overarching themes in the story of Joseph is that God has a sovereign unfolding plan and Joseph found himself in God's plan. You see, that in the midst of hardship, discouragement, and abandonment, Joseph chose to trust God's sovereign unfolding plan and submit to him. God was faithful to his covenant with Abraham to save the people of Israel because they were the chosen people for God to reveal himself to the world through. And God was going to redeem Joseph's story to accomplish his plan. God took the act of kidnapping and deceit and lying against Joseph and turned it around to save the people of Israel in a foreign land through Pharaoh. In the same way, we can trust God's unfolding plan when hardship comes our way too. We can trust that he will ultimately care for us and use us for his glory. So you will see this theme through Joseph's story. Now, moving on to some other thoughts and stories. A mentor of mine made this statement and it has stuck with me. Here it is. The reactions you have to circumstances in your life are like a window into the condition of your heart. In other words, sometimes we don't see the pride, superiority, or lack of grace and love in our hearts and attitudes until a circumstance arises in our lives that reveals the ugliness. I remember pursuing someone to mentor and disciple me when I lived in Montana on a Youth with a Mission campus. And I asked them to mentor me, but they said they were unable to because of their busy schedule. But from my outside perspective, I saw them meeting with several other young leaders and pouring into them, even publicly promoting them. And very quickly, my reaction was to be hurt that they chose someone else, then anger at why they couldn't make time for me, and then bitterness towards them and judgment of those they were spending time with. It even led to some bitterness with God for a bit because I thought God should have them see me and choose to pour into me. But my reaction didn't take into consideration what God was doing in the lives of those other leaders and their needs at the time. My reaction didn't take into consideration the leaders schedule and heart. 
it just assumed the worst. It revealed the condition of my heart that was prone to judgment, full of pride, only thinking of myself, and that I wasn't trusting in God to lead me or to pour into me in his timing and to provide me with what I needed. Another window into the condition of our heart could be when someone opposes our view on something and our first reaction is to reinstate our view more emphatically to try and convince them that our thinking is better. I personally think we all do this, but do we reinstate our view in such a way that we quit asking questions to understand their perspective? Are we willing to raise our voice to try and make a point? Are we willing to put relationship on the line just to be seen as right in our perspective? I remember a situation like this happening again in YOM in a leadership meeting and someone was, I guess, having a different perspective on, on handling a leadership issue than I had. And it seemed clear in my mind what they should do and we kept going back and forth and back and forth and finally they revealed why they had their perspective and it was very clear not only to me but everybody else in the room that they had a very good reason for their perspective and I felt about this big because of how I was trying to talk to them and I had to go back and ask forgiveness that I didn't ask more questions. So with that said I want us to keep the overall theme of God's sovereign plan and these types of reactions in mind as we read Joseph's story. Genesis 32, or 37 verses 2 to 13. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks, and he worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them and they couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field, tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, So you think we will be, or you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon, Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and eleven stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. And soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. And when they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, 
Your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready and I will send you to them. Now, when Joseph arrived at his brother's location, his brothers had made plans to kill him, but then decided not to kill him. And instead they decided to throw him in an empty cistern, strip him of his robe, dip it in blood and fake his death to their father. At that time, there happened to be some Ishmaelite traders passing by and the brothers decided to sell Joseph to them for 20 pieces of silver. These traders then took Joseph to Egypt where an Egyptian officer named Potiphar purchased him. So things weren't going as planned for Joseph, yet he listened to God's sovereign hand, or he listened to what God's sovereign hand uh, was like on Joseph. Genesis 39, verses two to six. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant, and he put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's house for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Now following this, scripture says that Joseph was handsome and Potiphar's wife made a sexual advance on Joseph and falsely accused him of rape and he was imprisoned for it. Although in prison, God sovereignly gave Joseph the ability to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh's cupbearer and chief baker also in prison with him. Then as predicted in the interpretation of the prisoner's dreams, Pharaoh restored the cupbearer to his job, but the cupbearer forgot to mention Joseph to the Pharaoh. Two years later, while Joseph was waiting in prison, Pharaoh had two dreams and wanted to know the interpretation of them. And finally, the cupbearer remembered Joseph. So Pharaoh called for the release of Joseph again. And God enabled Joseph to sovereignly interpret the dreams. The dreams of Pharaoh had to do with a great harvest in the land for seven years and then seven years of great famine. So Pharaoh had great confidence in God's hand on Joseph and made Joseph the second in command over all the kingdom with full authority at the age of 30 to manage the land through this season. During the years of famine, Jacob heard that there was grain available in Egypt and sent his sons to buy some, except for his youngest son, Benjamin, born to him through Rachel. They came before Joseph and bowed down, but the brothers didn't recognize Joseph. So Joseph kept Simeon and asked them to return with Benjamin to verify who they were and their story as a test. When they reluctantly and finally returned with Benjamin, Joseph tested them by setting up the capture of Benjamin to stay as a slave in Egypt. 
Finally, when Joseph had them in a perfect, vulnerable place to get revenge for what his brothers had done to him, Joseph broke and revealed himself to them. And he didn't blame them, but forgave them and stated that he saw God's sovereign hand to bring him to Egypt to be a part of saving the people of Israel and his family. Isn't it amazing that Joseph was able to see and trust God's sovereign plan in spite of all that he went through? Remember, he's human, just like you and I. Now, there's probably at least an entire 12-week teaching series in the story of Joseph, and we obviously don't have time to dissect it all. So without losing the overall theme in the story of Joseph, Joseph, I want to take a closer look at three different reactions to the sovereign plan of God that people had in this story. Before I start, let me state that there's relational messiness in every family, and Joseph's family was no different. I had two older siblings that I annoyed, and they did their fair share of anger inciting things to me too. We've likely all experienced the anger, bitterness, revenge, and spite within family dynamics at times. We know what topics to avoid within certain relationships. And if we're not careful, we start to see each other a certain way, and it's hard to see anything else. And on the surface, when we hear how Joseph's brothers treated him, we're likely shocked at their behavior and actions, but maybe not their attitudes. But there was a lot of history that, pos that was possibly behind their reactions. So let's explore that history and go back to Joseph's dad, Jacob. Jacob and his twin brother Esau were born to Isaac and Rebekah. Jacob convinced his older twin to give up his birthright for some soup because Esau was hungry one day. And then Jacob, with the help of his mom, Rebekah, tricked his ailing and blind father Isaac into blessing Jacob instead of his brother Esau with bold-faced lies and, and deceptive acts. And as a result, Esau tried to kill Jacob, and, and Jacob had to flee. And as Jacob was running from Esau, God got a hold of him and spoke to him, and Jacob made a vow to God to make him the Lord of his life. He kept running to his uncle Laban's land because he figured his mother's family would be a safe place, and Jacob had said he should go there. Now, I don't have time to get into interfamily marriages, wives, maids, servants, and customs of that day, but just buckle up for some family messiness. At Jacob's uncle's place is when Jacob met Rachel. They instantly fell in love and Uncle Laban gave his blessing for them to be married if Jacob would work for him for seven years. So Jacob did because it says his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. Sounds beautiful, right? But Uncle Laban pulled a fast one on Jacob and at the end of seven years gave his oldest daughter Leah to Jacob instead. Then Uncle Laban forced Jacob to work another seven years for Rachel and Jacob agreed. He really liked her. After Leah had four children through Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, 
Rachel got very jealous because she wasn't able to get pregnant. So in her jealousy, Rachel gave her maid servant Bilhah for Jacob to marry and have children through. And Bilhah had two sons named Dan and Naphtali. And Naphtali, which means my struggle, was named because Rachel said, I've had an intense struggle with my sister and I'm winning. Can you imagine the dynamics around those family gatherings? Then Leah realized in her envy that she wasn't getting pregnant anymore, so she gave her maidservant Zilpah as a wife to Jacob, and she had two sons named Gad and Asher. But to Leah's surprise, she also again became pregnant and had two more sons, Issachar and Zebulun, and then a daughter named Dinah. But shortly after this, Rachel finally became pregnant and had Joseph. After 20 years had passed, Jacob left Uncle Laban and his land to return to Canaan. And Jacob made amends with his brother Esau and lived in the land but in separate provinces. And shortly after this, Rachel had another son named Benjamin. And then Rachel passed away in childbirth. So why is this history important? Well, it reveals how rampant sin of jealousy and envy, left unchecked and unresolved, can lead to generations of brokenness and dysfunction. It can hinder our ability to be in relationship with God, and it even sets us up to work against God's sovereign plan. We will come back to this, but now let's look at three reactions to God's sovereign plan that I see in Joseph's story. The first reaction is the reaction of Joseph's brothers to Joseph's dreams. Now, right off the hop in Genesis 37, a few things are stated about Joseph's relationship to his brothers. Verse 2 says, Joseph reported to Jacob some of the bad things that his brothers had been doing. So, Joseph was maybe being a little tattletale. We don't know for sure, but keep in mind, these brothers killed and pilfered an entire town of people with a deceptive plan to get revenge uh, on their sister being raped. They weren't perfect or innocent. These weren't good things that they were doing. Verse 3 says, Jacob loved Joseph and was partial to him because he was born to him in his old age. But this is also where history comes into play. Jacob worked 14 years for his wife, Rachel, whom was all he ever wanted to begin with. And Joseph was the oldest son of Rachel. I'm sure there was a special bond between Jacob and Joseph and Rachel. Verse 4 says, Joseph's brothers hated Joseph because of their father's partiality. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Just like in our own families, sometimes or often, people talk about the drama that's happening in the family. I don't think the drama went unheard between Rachel and Leah, the sisters, or Bilhah and Zilpah, the maidservants, and all the kids. All their sons and Dinah likely knew the hurt, jealousy, envy, and disdain the wives had towards one another. And that likely played a part in the hatred among siblings towards Joseph. 
in a way, I kind of feel bad for Joseph that the family history and Jacob's partiality worked against Joseph when those were things out of Joseph's control. So, back to the first reaction of the brothers to God's sovereign plan. As soon as Joseph has a dream about the bundles of grain, his bundle rising up and the brothers' bundles gathering around and bowing, it brings new meaning to their reaction. Then Joseph shares another dream about the sun and moon and the 11 stars representing 11 older brothers bowing before him. They all just thought Joseph was an arrogant, spoiled brat that they wanted to get rid of because of the lens they had of how they viewed him. He was the youngest son, and it would have been a more appropriate dream for the oldest son to have in their culture. They were blinded to the fact that these dreams may have been God's sovereign plan because of their disdain that they had towards him. Their reaction revealed the condition of their heart. It revealed the hurt, the anger, the bitterness of years of family jealousy, envy, and resentment. It revealed years of undealt with sin and unforgiveness. It revealed hard hearts that had wandered away from the ways of God on how to handle relationships in a godly way. There's a challenge in this for us. Whether it's a family relationship or a friend-coworker relationship, do you have reactions to certain people that, that you need to take before God and let them speak to you about? What is your reaction to that person revealing about the condition of your heart? Has there been a deep-seated attitude and perspective that you've formed about someone that is unfair? Is there bitterness towards those around you that just seem to have an easier life, are wealthy, and that just seem to be blessed often, and it doesn't seem fair to you? Is your attitude holding you back from being used by God to minister to someone. The second reaction I want to look at is the reaction of Jacob to Joseph and pondering if God's hand was upon him. Jacob's reaction to the dream of Joseph is that he rebuked or scolded Joseph initially, but then it says, while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father gave it some thought and wondered what it all meant. In his flesh, Jacob's initial reaction was that this wasn't the right order of blessing. So Jacob initially rebuked him, but then started to ponder what Joseph's dream meant. Although deceptively, Jacob had also received a blessing from Isaac, his dad, over his older brother Esau. Maybe that was in the back of his mind. I think most importantly, once Jacob had made God the Lord of his life after, after running away from Esau, he experienced the blessing of God which he, he didn't feel he deserved. In other words, Jacob was likely pondering if God gave Joseph the dream. Did God just choose to bless Joseph regardless of what the culture of the times were? Did God see Joseph's heart was good, especially in comparison to his brothers, and choose to bless him? If so, maybe he should not fight against what God was doing in Joseph. Jacob's reaction still, still showed a hard shell on his heart, 
But I think there was also a softness and willingness to submit to God if God's plan was different than his own. When others around us are being blessed, are we filled with envy? Or can we be happy for them because God is choosing to bless them? It doesn't matter if they appear to deserve it more than another or not. Are we asking God to do what he wants to do through them? Are we going to hold a bad attitude towards them because we think someone else should be blessed? Are we going to be angry with God because we think we should be blessed? Have we even asked God if he is in the blessing of others around you? You see, if anything, we should rejoice that God has blessed someone and then pray for them that they do what God is asking them to do with that blessing. If God is with somebody, we don't want to be hindering what God is trying to bless. When God blesses someone, it's usually meant to benefit the person and many others. So why not pray for God's blessing to be on whoever could benefit instead of feeling jealousy? The third reaction I want to look at is the reaction of Joseph to his brothers when revenge would have been sweet. Once the first two dreams of Joseph take place um, with Joseph's brothers coming to Egypt for food and bowing before him two times, Joseph is left with a choice of how to react to his brothers. Now remember, Joseph had been hated and never encouraged by his brothers, deceived and kidnapped, sold into slavery, left for dead, and no one followed up on him. Now the fulfillment of Joseph's dreams happened and he could seek revenge on them. But instead, Joseph's love for his father and brothers is too much and he reveals who he is to them. He, here, here's what Joseph says in Genesis 45 verses 5 through 8. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. Can you imagine after all that Joseph has gone through with his brothers having this reaction? It's all good guys, high fives all around. If being treated the way he was by his brothers wasn't enough, Joseph had been a slave and and treated as such, forcibly separated from his father and family for at least 22 years, falsely accused of rape and put in prison for over two years, and forgotten in prison by the cupbearer. But scripture says that Joseph had God's blessing on him and giving him success, success wherever he went and whatever he did. Success under Potiphar, success in prison and the favor of the chief guard. He gave 
uh, Joseph the ability to interpret dreams. God made Joseph the second most powerful man in authority in Egypt. And through all of this, Joseph gave God the glory and chose God's ways and sovereign plan by refusing to sleep with Potiphar's wife and giving God the glory for his ability to interpret dreams. For Joseph, as much as in his flesh he likely wanted to have revenge on his brothers and would feel justified, he remembered God's great favor and faithfulness to the, him in slavery, in prison, and the unfair removal and brutal treatment of his family, and he chose to see God in the plan of his life. He chose to forgive instead of seeking for revenge, which was his family heritage and it had been soaked in that. He chose to accept hardship and to follow God's ways because they were good and blessed. This reaction of Joseph revealed his soft and tender heart toward God and God's ways. It showed that his heart was submitted to God and his perspective and plan versus what his own agenda was. So what about for us? Are we more committed to our own plans or are we committed to obedience to walk in God's plan and ways? That even when plans change for us and it may get uncomfortable, can we still hang on to God's ways and trust his plan? Or are we more prone to seek for what's best for us and we don't even consider what God's plan is? Are we more committed to seeing our own comfort over God calling us or moving us into a place of discomfort? Are we willing to submit to God uh, that the place of discomfort may be where God wants us for a season so he can accomplish something else beyond just blessing us alone? Joseph, trusting God's sovereign and unfolding plan, led to his reaction to his brothers and led to the entire people of Israel being physically saved versus being completely wiped out. Had Joseph chose revenge and let the hardness of his heart win the spiritual battle in his heart between choosing God's ways or his own, the outcome would have been very different for Israel. Joseph gained God's perspective and submitted to him. Maybe we should ask ourselves when we're in circumstances that seem unfair or hard, God, what is it that you would have me to do today and give me the grace to do it one day at a time? It's in this place that God can keep our heart connected to his that we will respond wisely and in a godly way to life's circumstances and be used by God to accomplish his mission for his glory. This response isn't an unreasonable ask for us from Jesus' perspective either. You see, Jesus was sent by God, treated unfairly, had to leave his family and friends. People hated him and wanted him dead. He was sold for pieces of silver and punished unfairly. But God would use him as the great prince to do something good and to forgive the sins of the entire world. 
Jesus had to trust God the Father's sovereign and unfolding plan too. So what are the reactions to your current life circumstances and relationships? And what are they saying about the condition of your heart? Let's not get in the way of something greater that God wants to do around us by holding to a fleshly reaction rather than considering God's plan in our circumstances. If you need to repent of your reactions against someone this, this morning or today, then repent and make restitution if you're able. But don't let sin run its course in you and harden your hearts and react rashly like Joseph's brothers. Let's ask God where he is in our circumstances, submit our hearts to him, listen to him and obey his leading. Who knows what God may do through us? This is my prayer for each of us today. Let's pray. Father, we submit ourselves to you. We have limited vision as to why we find ourselves in certain circumstances. We lack perspective. And in that lack of perspective, we often try to take things into our own control and we don't even consider if you're in the plan. Would you soften our hearts? Would we be drawn into deeper relationship with you when circumstances arise in our life that are challenging? And may we ask you what you are doing and follow your lead and prompting. That you would use us, even in discomfort and hard circumstances, to minister to others around us and maybe be a part of the bigger picture of what you're doing. That we would trust you and your ways in those moments trust your sovereign plan and, and your ability to guide us and direct us and push our own agenda to the side. You are worthy, you are good, your ways are good, and we can trust you with your sovereign plan. We ask that you would soften our hearts today and lead us and direct us in that way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening.